0: Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes Podcast. And we've got the three motherfuckers here today with a special guest. Ape Nation. Say hello to Boone Cutler. How you doing,
1: sir? You know, special is a relative word. So I'll just uh I'll just i'll just take your word for it just <laughs> go just go no, with i'm guys. just going with it man i'm going with it hey thanks for having me on the show dude i, I appreciate it. i met you yesterday mentioned met, you, met uh, some great people yesterday we were out there uh doing this event talking about fifth generation warfare and you guys happen to be in the audience and it's like hey let's get together tomorrow morning and do this thing
0: Absolutely, yeah. We were at the uh, Grunstyle Foundation was putting on that triangular compass, and uh, so that was a good event. And they went down there, and they were talking about uh, what is the, – the premise of that is mind, body, health. They have the different sections of it. And so we were in the mind section, I'm assuming, yesterday, and that's what you were leading with the fifth generation warfare.
1: Yeah, Monica – I can't remember her last name right now. Monica had called me, and she said um, – um, she was explaining her show and grunt style guys were like, yeah, we're going to talk about fifth generation warfare. And then she was explaining her show about mind, body, soul and all this other stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to be talking about veteran issues. Cause I do that a lot too. And it, it come to find out. Nope. She, she slid fifth generation warfare right in there. And she knew it. And she knew it. You know, she was really up to speed on it. I think she was a great hostess and uh, or comment or was it a facil- facilitator yesterday because it was a group. And um, she did a great job. And I think people got something out of it. And I think the uh, the focus group at the end of it just kind of showed where people were at. You know, at that level because only like two people had even heard of it before
0: right yeah you know i went into this completely having no idea what to expect and uh they said fifth generation warfare to us as you know as a prompt when we were going there um and i did no research on it thankfully i I wanted to go into it blind so that what i knew is what i knew and then i wanted to be exposed to new information just see how i process that Mm -hmm. and you know, I said in the, when they pulled us up in the focus group that I was familiar with a lot of the concepts that you were talking about. You know, I watched the uh, – and, and I did. I guess I should have got your opinion on what you feel of a social dilemma as far as a documentary.
1: It's fantastic.
0: But it talks about how AI basically drills down into confirmation bias, brings people into that space that causes encampment, tribalism. And, you know, we now we have the right versus the left, the straight versus the gay, the white versus the black. And everybody gets – pushed into these sections to where we are now all encamped and against each other. And you took that even a step further, kind of explaining the the battlefield techniques, so to speak, of not just AI, but bad actors and other organizations and how they're using this information to actually change thought. Would you like to go into that?
1: Well, let's talk about that. When you go to war, right, We have in the United States we have something called the Weinberger Doctrine. And the Weinberger Doctrine came out after Vietnam, and it basically says that the U.S. will not engage in any foreign war without U.S. public support. And so in order to go to war, you have to bring people together and agree this is the thing we want to do and go do that. Um, So what is it? When you don't want to mobilize a country and get them unified in order to fight a foreign adversary, you want to break them up. You want to separate them, put them in their little silos. And that's what we have right now. And it's done through creating, you know, filter bubbles and, and, and feedback loops where people are just with their groups. It's tribalized. They're tribalizing things. And we like to say that polarization is the enemy because that's the truth. You know, we are not each other's enemy whatsoever. It's the, it's the polarization that's the enemy And once you have polarization It's very easy to move people Into the tribalization phase And once they're in the tribalization phase Then comes the dehumanization phase Tribes dehumanize other tribes In order to to edify who you are You're either in my tribe Or you're trying to kill the world So therefore I hate you and I hate your tribe So there's the tribalization And then comes the dehumanization Once you get to the dehumanization phase Then it just comes killing So it's polarization, tribalization, dehumanization and killing and this arc happens throughout history and if people out there listening right now you know ask yourselves where are we as a country you know are we in the polarization phase are we in the tribalization phase are we in the dehumanization phase because it all leads to killing and if we don't really pay attention to this information we're going to be on the we're just going to continue to be in this funnel and push towards a direction we may or may not want to be i don't think we want to be there
2: so I talked about it a little bit yesterday up on the stage. Uh, John Glove's Fate of Empires. Have you read that white paper? I have not. It's uh, he was in World War Two. He did liaison work to Saudi Arabia and stuff. He's a pretty known guy, but he has a the premise of the white paper is essentially every empire lasts about 250 years, and there's historical markers that follow that. Um, and you could argue about like when the decline of Rome happened or whatever, but the markers are pretty consistent and even talking about fifth generation warfare, you know, I, I feel it is just a, it's the same attack vector. If you look at Pemessi PT and a scope that informational, um, it's just through a different medium. Nothing Nothing changes, but everything changes, if, if, if that makes sense.
1: It does. And I think that, you know, we say all the time that, that everything is weaponized until something better can be weaponized. And right now, this is these are the things that can be weaponized. It's not, you know, taking over a country is no longer just focusing on that physical battle space. It's the cognitive battle space of the people who live there. Because if you can change the people who live there, then you can change the culture and you can make that culture more like like you want it to be. And, you know, in psychological operations, you're, you're always adjusting people's uh, attitudes. That way that affects their behavior. That makes it in line with, quote-unquote, the U.S. national objective. But now we're talking about AI-driven psychological programming where it's not even talking about changing people's opinions. It's actually changing the way they, they think. It's starting very, very young, it's changing the structures. So certain words, certain phrases, certain behaviors become, taboo and they just completely stay away from it and it's demonized on a structural basis and this is this is the biggest difference now that, that you see and that's that's just that's just one uh, that's just one line of operation
0: well one of the things that I read in your book that I'd like you to kind of go into in a little bit more detail. You were talking about the building blocks of psychological programming and how once you establish a few of those building blocks and you establish the foundation, then you can build upon that and create the narrative that you want to create. Would you like to talk a little bit about the psychological building blocks?
1: The psychological building blocks, um, help me help me if I'm right, because I don't remember ever phrasing anything as psychological building blocks, so I'm just going to try and hit it there. You know, when you, when you start with a... When you have a culture, there's there's different ways. First of all, you have to understand that when you have a culture, there's in group out group dynamic. There's always in group out group out group dynamic, and as a as doing psychological operations you're going to you're going to leverage that if you've got five people or six people in a room and you want them to do something well if you can convince four of them what you're doing is right the other two are just going to go along with it you just got to get people moving in that direction and they're going to succumb to that in group out group because they don't want to be on the out group they want to be with the in group and so when you establish you know through narrative who the in group is whether it's mask wearers whether it's people who believe in the vax or whatever then that brings other people into that fold because they want to be with the cool kids. They want to be the in-group. They don't want to be the out-group. And that is a big part of it, I think, managing and leveraging in-group, out-group. And, you know, the Chinese say, you know, uh, uh, see see a cat paint a tiger. This is another aspect of it. And I think that's just a really good illustration of astroturfing astroturfing if you know what a grassroots movement is grassroots that's that's real that's natural that's organic well you can also manufacture a grassroots movement you can make something very 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 small look very very big so other people want to be a part of it that's called astroturfing and i think the ccp is very very good at that in in using the the levers that they have to make that happen so through just using astroturfing and 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 managing and and, I don't know, manipulating the in-group, out-group, you have a large group of people that flock to things, but it really never lasts. That's the thing, because it's not organic. It doesn't last. And I think we're in a phase right now in our own country that psychologically people are seeing, hey, there's something wrong here. And I always say, why, why are we, why are we on, the, on the crazy terrain going to crazy town? And I don't know Why? And, and this is why. People feel like there's something wrong, they feel like there's a lot of manipulation, but they don't know what it is, they don't know what to call it. And what it is, and what you call it, is what it is, and that's fifth generation warfare. Absolutely. Okay, well that was a good answer. Where
0: do you, where do
3: you feel like that's coming from right now, Boone?
1: Well, it's happening worldwide. We have to understand that it's not—it's not just the United States. Um, when I talk to people, and there's a lot of people who are you know, who are reading the book, buying the book, and, and doing—you know—following through on on the information that's in the book or the series. It's really a series, and it's uh, the series is called the Citizens' Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare. Uh, we've got out two sessions so far, and it's, they're basically military manuals that are written for civilians based upon the current operational environment, what's happening right now, letting people know you are in a war, and the war looks like this. These are the players in the game. Um, and, but it's worldwide. When I was just on a show last night in Australia, and same thing. I'm on, I go on shows in, in Canada same exact thing UK same exact thing uh, if I spoke Spanish and I was doing stuff in you know speaking to Spanish speakers it would be the same thing so this is a worldwide thing right now sure. and so there is You know, you see the breaking down of borders. That's not just the United States. That's other places too. You see the taking away of parental rights. That's not just the United States. That's other places too. You see the taking away of medical freedom. That's not just the United States. That's other places too. You see the issues with elections that we're having. That's not just the United States. That's other places too. All these things are the things you do to break down a nation state. Why do you want to break down nation states worldwide? only to create a new world order yeah. that is borderless. That's
3: where I was leading the yeah, question. I, I, was I going, wanted to see where that was, I was gonna,
2: going with yeah. that too. Uh, I, I used to teach class to new lieutenants called performing an operational environment. And I, it was counterinsurgency doctrine, but it was thinking toward the future, you know, ALM army learning model 20, whatever, 28 now. Um, and we talked about like near peer threats and then like your hybridized threats of nation states. And, even with lieutenants going from the base of learning how to do an area study, you know. For- well,
1: you're moving lieutenants from linear thinking, from linear, from linear tactics and strategies to non-linear. Right. Which is not the easiest thing in the world because everybody wants to think about little green guys running up a hill and planting a flag. Right. We're not there anymore. You know, exactly. that happens very selectively now. We're talking about nonlinear operations where it's, it's manifesting the things of hybrid warfare, irregular warfare, unrestricted warfare. And I, I challenge everybody out there listening right now, just go look up hybrid warfare look at the definition on your own look up irregular warfare just look at the definition on your own go look up unrestricted warfare just look at the definition up on your own and if that kind of feels like hey this is what's going on around me right now well congratulations you've now discovered something you combine it all together it becomes fifth generation warfare which is what's
3: great is you actually use three different terms that a lot of people i'm sure are not familiar with uh everyone's heard of asymmetric warfare it's been Coined and termed and, and shoved down our throat for many, many years, but the three that you just listed are indeed true and in actual things. But no one ever talks about them.
1: Well, when you talk to people in the military, they're only going to say things like irregular warfare. Right. And right. It's, it's all going to be encapsulated into that. You talk to people outside the military in different areas, they're going to say hybrid warfare. They're going to call it something different. And then you know, if people are talking about specifically about the CCP, they're going to say unrestricted warfare. We chose to put it all those definitions into the book just so everybody can kind of see, hey, there's a lot of overlap here. And, and and it is nonlinear warfare. And it's so, part of that nonlinear warfare, we need to understand the elements of, of the overlap, but also the definition of, of each one of these terms. So, nobody's excluded and they go, Oh, yeah, I do know that one. Yeah, I do know that yeah. one.
2: You, you know, last night, the biggest, um, it wasn't a light bulb moment because I've kind of noticed it for a while, but it reinforced the thought was looking out into kind of everybody in the audience as we were having going through the panel, all of us up there talking. And seeing the looks on people's faces, you know, I talked when I talked to you last night. I made the comment sometimes you just got to show people that the matrix is real. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that most people, like you said, they know something's wrong, they just don't know what because. Uh, and the danger, I think, if we talk about peer-to-peer threats, and those are some very real dangers. The things that CCP is doing are that othering happening while. The levers corporate corporate wise above that, the World Economic Forum and even echelons above that. If you look, look at, like the fact that BlackRock owns almost everything, and who controls BlackRock? Mm-hmm. Right, rich families. Back to the w- CCP, <laughs> right?
1: Back to Vanguard. Vanguard, Vanguard, BlackRock, and, and this
2: Vanguard, it, but it's select individuals.
1: Once we get into um, session three, session three, we we start breaking into um, uh, asymmetrical political warfare. Where well, we talk about it. if if capitalism, when it becomes corrupt, is a corporatocracy, and we've had a corporatocracy in the United States for quite some time, that's mm-hmm. where government is controlled by corporations, and the corporations end up being infiltrated by a foreign power. Yep. Well, now you just—it's another way to, to infiltrate the government. Not to mention the amount of corrupting that goes on and, and compromising that, that that goes on. So there's there's several you know lines of operation that that we have adversaries working on us. Uh, you know whether it's AI working at the at the very basic level with the colleges, you know promoting a certain narrative. Whether it's business, you know look at the, look at look at the pronouns and and this kind of stuff that that really has such had such an impact that was primarily pushed by business that wasn't pushed by the government mm-hmm. you know these are these are things that are pushing through business and why do that why because these major businesses control politicians but they mm-hmm. also control their workers mm-hmm. well, so these are huge huge aggregates that once you grab control of them and you start forcing look at covid covid was truly forced by businesses yeah. more than it was by the government and everybody else just kind of fell in line with it and they did their piece of the pie to to, to do the enforcement wherever it was but you cannot take off the table these days, how our corporate structures in the United States have been infiltrated, also by foreign entities. Oh, absolutely!
2: So, and that's when you know, talking about uh, like Pemessi PT, which is just a bunch of variables for the audience. It's political, military, economic, social, so on. Right? It's just everything that makes up where you live, and in the case of the military, fight. And then you do an A scope analysis, which breaks though each of those variables down a little more. But, um. You know, to that point, if you look at how long this has actually been happening, because we're talking right now, you're talking corporate, but if you look at the infiltration in education, I remember driving when I came back from Hawaii, listening to podcasts, driving across the country in uh, 2016, and I was hearing the first thing about microaggressions and just some of the most ridiculous stuff at the time. I was like, this can't be real, people can't be buying into this. Then you start walking the dog back i mean all the way to like the weather underground and like what happened to some of those people after it kind of broke up you know and it got infiltrated into education and it's just a different attack vectors of the same goal i think
1: and and what's the what's the ultimate goal of all these i'll let you
2: it's to they want to collapse every nation and they want everybody under one-world one, wor- one world control. That's what I think the big, 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 big picture is.
1: So what do you think about uh, when we're talking about viability for defense? I mean, obviously, we have to you know, make the assumption whether it gets that far or not. We have to make the assumption that the federal government will fall. It will collapse, which puts, again, now we're going back to the states. What are the states going to do to be states and, and protect the citizens of their state? You know, I, how, how, how important do you think it is for the states to become more self-sufficient should the, the federal government? Incredibly. Class? Oh, absolutely. On that,
2: on that same trip, I had a conversation, one of the last ones with my grandfather before he got Alzheimer's real bad. And I found out recently that he was a spook, uh, with the equivalent of ground branch back then, I think in the Navy, um, doing some stuff, but we were having the convert we were watching the republican debates when trump was first up there with all the candidates and he's like hey grandson what do you what do you think i said unfortunately <laughs> with the stuff i'm seeing because i've been reading a lot of historical texts i think in my lifetime for sure i think that the united use use the united states as it currently is configured will go away whether that happens just through a balkanization or through a civil war i said and i think it's very important that like I said to you last night, people get more civically involved at the local level because that's where eighty percent of the control over their lives happens. Um, I think it's inevitable. That's why I said I, I, uh, if I, I'll, I'll shoot you gloves white paper later. I think you'll find it interesting. Or have you read the fourth turning?
1: Send it to me too.
2: Yeah. Um, there's if you're doing your own analysis and you're kind of, you can see how the authors came to the conclusions that they did. And there's enough historical stuff that we're too big. Look at the size of the United States right now. Uh, I will just hope that as, as bad as I think that will be for the world, I think it's inevitable. And I think you controlling and trying to keep where you live as in line with your values as possible is probably the most important thing. Um,
1: well, it becomes a controllable at this point, right? It does. And, and that's the thing, control the controllables. You know, we don't have a lot of control, you, me, and everybody else here. We don't have a lot of control about what the federal government's doing. They're kind of they're kind of a runaway tr- machine right now. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go the way it's going to go. It's either going to get derailed or it's going to push through. But we have to accept the fact that it's a possibility of being derailed. But what can we control? You know, Control the controllables. Keep the rest on your mind. I don't get into the fantastical past about groups and people and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. It happened in the 14th century, blah, blah. I don't get into that stuff because that has nothing to do with the controllables and just takes up too much of my time and my, my, my headspace. But I do get very much into the controllables. Okay, what can you do within a 10-minute car drive of your home? Yep. What can you do with the people around you? How can you make yourself self-sustainable? We talk about that in Chapter Eight of Session One: uh, Reliability Networks. You know, how? Can, what is it? What is a reliability network? What does it take to build one? And what can they do? Well, they're very multi-purpose. Just like in, in school, we had the multi-purpose room. you go in there to eat lunch, or you could watch a presentation, or hey, you know, if there's a tornado outside, we're going to go in there too. It's the same thing. A Reliability network is there to sustain you. It's there to help you. It's there to offer support. And also, if you want to organize it and mobilize it for political action, you can do the same. But first, you have to build the network. And it takes a little bit of technique to do that.
2: Yeah. And I, I, uh, there's a couple groups out there, like Forward Observer. They give a class on how to do an area study to civilians, although I think they do it more in a preparedness narrative rather than a civic engagement narrative, which is what the left's been doing for a long time, right? It allows them to... Rapidly organize at a local level because they have fingers in all of those Messy PT variables. Like they have sensors too if something's coming up. And uh, I actually was helping a buddy kind of in concept come up with something for a book he was writing um, on how you would do that kind of on the other end just to create resilient communities where you could rapidly shut down crazy stuff. You know, because school boards will pass stuff because nobody shows up. And we saw what happened when they started to show up. But then at the federal level, we had a weaponized Department of Justice that were calling parents potential domestic terrorists. And the FBI. Well, yeah, the the FBI through the DOJ. DOJ. but, Uh, um, But that reaches back even further to, you know, the NDAA where everything was reclassified, where American citizens could be indefinitely detained for almost next to nothing. We didn't see that one coming, did we? <laughs> yeah, right. Patriot Act. St- States' uh, rights. You know, are... <laughs> we, we we asked for it.
1: But we didn't exactly know what we were asking yeah, for. Right. And once again, everything is weaponized. Till so something better can be weaponized. And and I, uh, you know, this this is all very Sun Tzu at the moment. You mm-hmm. know, being able to use our strengths against us. And and that that's one of them. You can't look at the ND the NDAA. You can't look at the Patriot Act and say, you know what. <sighs> Is this really what we want to do? How do we undo this? How do we unwind this thing? And, and it would have to be. It would have to be
2: unwinding. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on if there's actually more traction than people know, but a convention of states? I think mm-hmm. right now there's like t- 23 that have signed on that. saying they would quite a few, They yeah. would go to it. And I know there could be a runaway convention, but I. what are your thoughts on that potentially happening?
1: Uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Uh, I can say if you know this is you know who how is this going to be coordinated and what are the goals and objectives? You know, I think that's where we need to stop and and assess those goals and objectives. And say okay, is this where we want to be? And also, what are the checks and balances on those goals and sure. objectives? Because that can get flipped really quick too, and then we're just we're fighting another layer against the things we're trying to fight.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to circle back a little bit because we talked about a couple of concepts that I think are important, especially for our listeners. You know, one of the things that I think has made us so susceptible to this is the education system. And not even that, I think it can go historically all the way back to what we perceive as media and what we perceive as quality sources. You know, when you start... Academics at a, at the college level, the first thing that they do is they sell you to disseminate sources, right? So you're no longer allowed to use Wikipedia. Now you have to go to general journal articles or you scholarly have to get established... Source. Yeah, scholarly sources or established mm-hmm. media, right? Because journalism is supposed to be quote-unquote unbiased. And the problem that we have now is when you have those sources that have been historically told as, as being accurate or being relied upon, and they start pushing the narrative, like you said, earlier when they start pushing a false narrative then you have people who are susceptible to believing that narrative and they're not going to push against it they're just going to assume that that's correct and then we run into that misinformation problem where now you have so many different sources all telling you a different story and some are reputable some are not and what what are people to believe you know how can people defend themselves against the misinformation
1: I think what is literacy is your question. In today's world, what does literacy look like? Well, first of all, it doesn't look like ignorance because ignorance is illiteracy. And in today's world, we have to adjust to how do we get in information so we are not illiterate. And so many times we are ignorant to w- on ways to get information. In session two on how to fight artificial intelligence, one of the things we, we recommend is one – uh... learn a little bit about open source intelligence how to collect open source intelligence what are good sources and and there's actually a process for that it's not it's not a colloquial thing get on the internet and look no there is an actual process there's a methodology to it and people need to learn that methodology the, the only thing, the, the thing to back up your open source intelligence is is learning a little bit of human intelligence, how to collect human intelligence, because you're going to have to find somebody in that area that knows what's going on. You can say, dude, what's happening? And that'll kind of confirm or deny what you're doing in your open source intelligence. And lastly, understanding how to, how to identify propaganda. So we talk about the scheme technique on how to identify propaganda and see if it is it white, is it gray, is it black, and then from there through these different skills, OSINT training and human training and, and understanding propaganda analysis. Now we become literate in today's environment. Once we become literate, we're no longer in, we're no longer ignorant, and then we can't be manipulated. So when you're talking about the media and who to believe and who to trust, and all this other thing, I see a day where people stop looking at the media they stop. It it becomes like, okay, these people put up a flag in this area. Thank you very much. I just needed the flag. Now I'm going to go find out the information for myself and use, you know, use the internet, use, use social media for good. You know, you're on Twitter, you see somebody commenting about a certain thing. You can tell that they're from the area that they're, they're commenting about, make contact with them directly. Just, Hey bro, what's going on? You know, I just saw you made this comment. I see you live in that area. What do you actually see? Tell me what you see with your eyes. I see this. I see that. You know, give the five Ws, you know, who, what, when, where, why.
3: (laughs) I've, I've stopped watching the news because of agendas. I mean, oh, it's, it's all well, there are it, churches. It's all it's churches. a lot. It's and, a lot and I got a
0: I got a little bit of taste of that during covid. Um, I had a friend who lived in Beverly Hills and he runs Beverly Hills perfumery out there. And in the news, they would take you know, they would highlight things that were going on in the local area, whether it would be, you know, protest rallies, whatever the case. And then what he would do is he'd walk down the street and he'd take a photo. And it would be 10 or 15 people in a parking lot, or it would be it would be an empty parking lot or something like that. And it was like the, the news article versus what was really happening was completely different.
1: And I don't think people are trusting the news. I think they're looking for a different way to get their information. Yeah, 100%. And the way we're going to get our information is going to be through that hive mind. We're going to use each other for the information, and that way we can get something that's accurate. We can pass it to our own networks, our own reliability networks that are close to us, because we've got to bring down this emotionality. You know, all these things that are put out on this breaking news or this, this, that, and the other thing, all the emotionality goes up. And the, the effects of that emotionality is it breaks down your critical thinking people respond emotionally the critical thinking goes down and then they protect that which they responded to emotionally because they they feel it's a it's a what is polarization polarization is the manufactured sense of life and death the manufactured sense of life and death so if you get away from that emotionality then you pull yourself away from the polarization you no longer have that sense of life and death so you can use your critical thinking well and this is where we need to start working well
0: one of the best pieces of advice that I took away from yesterday was this idea of the 72 hours if you Absolutely. Read, if you read something on social media, or if you if something catches you emotionally, give it seventy two hours before you respond. I, don't don't share that immediately. Take the time to disconnect from that, process it, do your research, then come back to that and say and hey, see hey.
1: what else develops. Exactly. You know, if this this crazy breaking news going to change the world in a day. Okay, we'll sit on it for seventy two hours. If the next day there's the next thing that's going to change the world forever, and it's breaking. Well, you see, okay, this one fell off. It's probably not. Not so real. It's clickbait. You know, it's a way to get the way to get people to follow you or, or watch what you're doing.
3: Well, you use that word, uh, uh, breaking news, and uh, breaking I, news. I, they use it all the time. It's gotten to a, a, a laughing point in our house. Whenever you turn the news on to watch the weather, immediately you hear breaking news, and well, it's a man shot in St. Louis. I- Like that's not breaking news. Shocking, yeah, shocking. Right? Look at our crime rate. It's I use it's things like that. Like
2: it's an example. It's ridiculous. I literally, when that first happened, I watched the video. Buddy sent him my, and he's like, "What are your thoughts?" And I said, "I'm gonna be in a watch and shoot on this one." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "My initial thoughts, or I'd probably want to come and and I was an arrest control instructor for law enforcement for a while. I'm like, (laughs) initially, I want to run up and kick that cop in the chest to get him off that guy from the angle I'm getting. I'm like. But I, there's more to this. I'm like, I'm going to sit on it for a minute. And then all the information came out. And even despite what happened to Derek Chauvin, if you call that a trial, like the information, you know, the fact that he was way over on fentanyl, the pr- fact that they'd had him in the car, like all this other information was, was missing. And that's the thing is even in conversations we have, if you look politically – you know, we'll have, oh, we're going to have a debate, but it's all sound bites. I think a thing that can get stuff out there more is long form stuff like what we're doing right now to really flush out ideas. I think that can be helpful. And citizen journalism certainly is useful, but I, I have a question for you and a concern I have is with the kind of onset and sophistication we're starting to see with deep fakes, how we can even counter that because short of being immediately right there, it gets I've, I see a lot of challenges. It's ever evolving. It's asymmetric. It well lo-
1: look what happened with the deep fake. I don't know if you remember earlier this year there was a deep fake that was put out about an explosion at the Pentagon. Look at the effect that had the stock market. Unbelievable, right? You think that's not gonna be done again? I just wanna know who bought the dip. You know what I'm saying? Because (laughs) that's that's. uh, I start putting. I start looking in that direction. But (laughs) but you know. But what you saw there is one. It was only one angle. Okay, that doesn't happen anymore. Mhm. Okay, people have cameras everywhere. everywhere. It was one angle, one photo. Okay, that's your first indicator. And again, this is how we become literate in All our right. current environment. And we talk about deep fakes in session 2 and and how to repel against that and how to understand what you're actually looking at. The other thing you saw is the people when it came out, people were saying, "Wait, I'm here. I don't see that." Okay, and that needs to be assessed as well. And that's why I'm saying I think Citizen journalism, I wouldn't take it a step forward. I would take it a step step back, which is, you know, okay, yes, you have professionals out there that, that do wonderful things, and, and there are great journalists out there. Unfortunately, they don't get a lot, enough attention. Um, but now you're going to start seeing journalists, you know, having their stories written by AI, which is totally selective. Mm-hmm. So how do you trust that?
2: I guess I mean more uh, – I misspoke a little bit. Think more of the strategic corporal concept civilianized right like everybody has a camera maybe not even a citizen journalist but even the ability for because of algorithms and the way they're developing and even Oracle and its predictability patterns knowing how people would react to your phone then being able to almost near in real time if you're putting something out putting spin on what's going out there because it's it is coming
1: yeah find people that are actually there right I think it solves a lot of problems we need to start talking as people again. We got to be humans, being human. I think that uh, if, if there is if there is a way for us to communicate, okay, yeah, we hear something happen. It doesn't matter where it's at. There was two. There's four years ago. I don't remember when it was. It was the October 2019. It's 2019 uh, revolution in Iraq. Yep. I was very very interested in this. There was hardly any news in the in, in the United States. Well, the beautiful thing we talk about these techniques and so many more. But uh, you know, using hashtags, what is a hashtag? A hashtag is an aggregate, which is, is, a, is a group uh, that, you, you basically put people in a group because they're using that hashtag. They support it in some way. So it's people who know about that information. So you can go in through and hashtag, find somebody you personality match with, make direct contact and ask questions. In that situation, I made contact, the, the hashtag was Save the Iraqi People, hashtag Save the Iraqi People, I find an Iraqi man. Seems like I go to his, his page, looks like he and I have some things in common. So I send a message, Do you speak English? And you know, I use a little bit of translation, and he responds back to me. And it's not just one person. You want to do this with four or five people because you don't know who's going to respond to you, and you don't know. You always want to use more than one source. So I'm using multiple people, but this guy just kept coming back right, and we established rapport. Everything was good. The next thing I know, He's telling me everything that's happening, the real deal. He's out there. He's sending me photographs of him there, all right, right. telling me what's happening in real time. This guy was a member of the Iraqi government, <laughs> and he's talking to me, and he's showing me what's <laughs> happening, and he's, you know, and I understand the culture there. Well, long story short, I ended up writing another book, which I haven't released yet, which was the Mahdi militias version of everything that was happening in Iraq while the Americans were there. Nice. So I have the American version, and I have the Iraqi version, or the, the Mahdi militia version. And I haven't released it yet, but it's actually both sides of the war. And, and so he actually he wanted to learn English. He he could speak very little English, so I taught him better English by him learning how to read my book <laughs>
2: and giving me comments on it. Okay, Jay Shalmati had a price <laughs> on my head in two thousand eight. Yeah, so it's
1: this is this is the it's way scary, to right? you know when people have these tools available and they just don't know how to use them we stay ignorant. But if we know how to use them for our benefit, not just to be manipulated for somebody else's benefit, we're that much stronger and we can get good information. Now, only can we do that? We can learn things that we didn't even know existed.
0: Well, I'm glad that you brought up the the, uh, Iraqi government because I was actually listening to a podcast of yours and where you talked about uh, an in-bed reporter that Mm -hmm. you got stationed with that went out with you. Would you like to tell that story?
1: Yeah, pretty great, crazy story. <clears throat> I'm stationed there in Iraq sauer city is my area of operation and this in-bed sh- shows up and they want to take him out they want me to shadow him and take him out on patrol this is a daytime patrol which everybody knows is the daytime is bullshit in Iraq everything happens at night and so we go out in the, in the daytime and they do the very nice tour for him this is a school you know these are you know look at this street look at the the Look at the good things that they're doing to rebuild their country. And let's talk about the water supply. You know, the water, you know, we brought water to this area. Very nice, very nice very nice puff piece. And then, um, so I kind of skinny up next to him and say, hey, do you want to see what's really going on out here? And he's like, yeah. So I take him out on a nighttime patrol. <laughs> and I start showing him everything. And there was this one building. That uh, it, was, it was a tall, it was a tall building in in Solder City, and we used to go up there and do obs because you can see you can see a lot of things, and be, it's very dark, so you see vehicles moving very easily, and uh, so we're watch. I said, watch. I said over here. I said, okay, you see the American patrol, and I show him. You know, he's look, he's watching. I said, okay, now look to the street to the left, look to the street to the right, the north side. I said, look. He goes, what? I said, what do you see? He goes, Iraqi police trucks. I said, yeah, they shadow us everywhere we go. And then they tell people, he goes, Iraqi police. I go, yeah, they're working for the other side, dude. Okay. You can see right there. And so I show him that stuff. I take him to the hospital and at the hospital, I, I had the confidence of some doctors there. And uh, the doctors say, yeah, all the medicine goes to the militia. The people don't get medicine. They don't get, they don't get anything. It all goes to the militia. And they're being extorted. Taken to other places. Extortion, extortion, murder, murder, extortion. All this stuff. Okay. Every, just normal, everyday stuff in Sauter City. And then I'm thinking, yeah, I'm waiting for this article. It's going to be badass. It never came out.
2: It's uh, never happened. What was that, around 08, maybe? No, it was 05, It was probably 06. written. I was there in 08, and I had we they were leaving uh, they were leaving Jay Shalmati alone around FOB Falcon area, and when we got there, we took over and we started doing uh, time sensitive targets at night. But we'd also have to do PSD for the Colonel during the day because I was in recon, and uh, we had rolled up a whole bunch of guys when the Colonel went on leave because they just kind of let the dogs off the leash, just small kill teams and stuff. Well we went into a meeting that got very sketchy with our battalion XO where he was calling them out in a meeting. And where Their equivalent of SWAT was in there, and you could tell who the jam guys were. They all had the red ring, right? And uh, he came up to my PL at the end when it was getting hot, and he was like, I know who you are because he spoke English. My PL's like, yeah, I know who you are. He says, uh, you're the guy who protects your colonel during the day and then goes after my men at night. And he's like, well, maybe if your men weren't scumbags, we wouldn't roll them up.
0: Well, that was one of the things that was really confusing to me. And I was not nearly as high up in the military as you guys were. But when I was in Iraq in 2003, we were part of the group that first started training the Iraqi police force. And uh, I remember one day I was sitting on a gate guard duty, and my interpreter was with me, and his name was Ali. And they had really
1: all... an interpreter named Ali. I know, right? There's so many <laughs> shockers, <dun>,
0: <laughs> stereotype, <laughs> but. Um, we had uh, they had brought in the sheik, and it was right about the time that they were establishing the government again. And uh, my interpreter got so mad. In fact, at one point we had to kind of restrain him because he wanted to go attack the guy, and he was saying he was the enemy and yet that was the person that we were directly working with and that was the person that we were putting in charge with someone that he deemed as the enemy and this is these were people that were working with us and uh, that really stood out to me and 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 that had changed my narrative a little bit made me go man what's really going on here like i don't understand that
1: yeah it was it was an issue you know it was an issue you get rid of the bath party and there's going to be a vacuum and that vacuum's mm-hmm. going to be absorbed and 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 they want jobs and they want to collect intel. Okay, what do you do to do that? Well, you get a job working for the Americans, you get money and you collect intel and then you collect and then you collect on another side too with favors. And so these these were always issues. You know, we had some great interpreters uh, where I was at mm-hmm. and they were so great that I think we that eight of them were killed within about 9 months, you know, because they they would get rolled up, and they would they would murder them, and it was it was brutal. It was it was very brutal. It's, uh, it's a very sad thing. That's
2: why the Afghanistan withdrawal is so. Mm troubling. Now <laughs> no. we
1: transition to Afghanistan withdrawal. <laughs> you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal, when people look back in history and they say, "Hey, when did a lot of things change in the country?" I think they're going to they're going to point at the Afghanistan withdrawal because it brought so many warfighters together. I mean, think about it. this is the first time that warfighters got together in a private capacity and You're said, right. "We're going to go get people." You're right. And oh. we're going to pull them out in mass. Um and and that happened. That really happened. Yes, it did. So but the thing is that, okay, the Afghanistan withdrawal mission is over. We pulled out our, our AM sets We get uh, people, you know, people are moving, running through rat lines. I mean, we're doing everything right, getting things financed, running ops. Yeah. And then everybody kind of looked at each other and was like, kind of like hanging out with you guys again. <laughs> what are we going to do next, you know? And so that brought together so many people who who have skills. And those same people today are like, we're on the next mission right now and non-kinetic, you know, nothing violent, nothing like that, but people who know how to make things happen. And, um, I think at at some point in time, depending on how this whole thing turns out, people are going to look back and go, where did, where, where did that tide twist a little bit? Where did all these people come from who have all this knowledge and they put it to use? It came from the fact we got really pissed off about the Afghanistan withdrawal, and we came together and decided we should probably stay together and do some other things now.
0: So are you alluding to the fifth-generation warfare movement?
1: I think fifth-generation warfare, I think discussing it, and I think, I think people understanding what it is and, and knowing how to organize to, uh, to combat it, I think that's, that's happening. That's happening. Well, so I, what, I go and, ahead and yeah, this no, is you, the and this ahead, and sir. this is the civilian manual to learn that.
3: No, I was going to ask a simple question of because uh, I, I myself am interested in, in your opinion. I'm sure listeners are too. What is the the, the the method to combat that, other than gaining knowledge of what it is?
1: Well, let's start with let's start with understanding what it is, mm-hmm. accepting the fact that it exists. Take a take something off the table. It's very important, which is your neighbor is not your enemy. Stop the division. Stop feeding into the the division, and then and then the last thing what everybody needs to do right now is build those reliability networks. Yep. You know, we have so many friends that are, you know, if, I, if I'm in Nashville and my. You know, I, my tire goes flat and I need to call a friend and all my friends are friend people I know online. And so I got one guy in Dallas, one guy in New York, one guy in Connecticut, one guy in California, nobody's going to come help me change that, fix that tire, Mm -hmm. you know, because and what, then that's shame on me right? because I haven't made, you know, I haven't come close with people in, in where I live within a 10 minute car drive of where I live. And so that's important. Um I think the I think social media and the internet is great to for information sharing among people who you know that's vetted obviously and I think it's great for encouragement but it's not great for building networks because they can easily get cut down as soon as they stop the comms you guys have nothing you have nothing so you have to have some sort of network that is in the social media is in the digital space but your your primary network that you rely on has to be in the physical domain
3: yeah flesh and bone friends flesh and bone well, you got to
1: be able to smell people absolutely. because you don't know what it's a bot and that's well, what
2: that's why I said <laughs> last night uh, you know if you look at it we used to have We've talked about it on here a few times, but every right had a corresponding responsibility. If you actually read any of our founding documents or the journals of the founders, like you actually get into it. It wasn't just, oh, I have a right to do this. There was an expected social responsibility. Like the militia wasn't a fun thing. Hey, there's Indians invading. We don't. Hey, Bob, you don't get a choice. You're going right. It was mandated. You were part of it. Um, but everybody knew who Bob was. Right, if somebody was doing some sketchy stuff that kind of went against the, the oh, and good, they knew it was Bob. The good of collective, well, <laughs> Bob does sketchy shit. Was talking to people. <laughs> well, it's like I, I bring Fuck up, Bob. and that's why I bring up the eighty twenty. Like what affects eighty percent of your life versus twenty. I find it ironic that every election we go into locally, you may be voting on a you know elected position for a school board or something like that. That literally your kids are sitting in all day. And people don't even know the names on the ballot. They're just looking for R or D. Right. Well... You, you know, know what I mean? And, and What's the difference? That's, well, yeah, left well, wing, right wing, same nut, right? Yeah. Right,
0: and and I want to come back to that, but you know, talking about the warfare and talking about how real this is, You know, last night I was introduced to this whole idea of fifth generation warfare, and then you know, we come home from the event, I find you on social media, I find you on Facebook, I like you there, I go to Instagram, I, I decide to follow you on Instagram, I share a couple of posts in which I tag you, and it wouldn't let me tag you, and within 30 to 40, 45 minutes i'm getting connection on my phone to where it's telling me i have no internet connection and i wake up this morning and i found out that both my facebook and my instagram accounts are saying that they suspect me of being a spam bot and i'm completely shut down and that really opened my eyes to, i was like holy shit, this is why we build our net- here.
1: yeah this is why we build our networks in the physical domain and and you know we talk about fifth generation warfare and we talk about this manipulation you know, let, let's talk about General Flynn for a minute because, uh, you know, I've written two books with a man. I spend a lot of time with him. I think I know him better than most people listening today. But the truth of the matter is, he's one of the most gracious people I've ever met in my life. You know, even when we, we decided to, to start doing these these books together, he, he, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be like an 80 20 split because <laughs> you're the general. He's the yeah, general. You right. know, and he's like, nope, 50 50. We're in this together. Like, wow. Whoa. You know, I mean, that was that was a that was a big deal. That's and, you know, then, you know, I had to ask him questions about the background, his background, too, because I know people are going to ask me. Well, most people, even the people listening today, he still has people walking up to him say, hey, what was it like in jail? And he's like, you guys don't realize the DOJ withdrew the case. There, There was nothing there. Right. I never went to jail. Yeah, the DOJ withdrew the case for lack of evidence. Most people don't even know that. Okay. And then most people don't realize he got a pardon of innocence. He wasn't convicted of anything. He was never convicted of anything. He got a pardon of innocence. And the reason he got a pardon of innocence is because after the DOJ withdrew the case, the judge was looking for someone to prosecute it. Well, do you want to go in front of a judge who's looking for someone to prosecute your case? Right. Not at all. No. Okay. And so this is why they, you know, President Trump did, did a, a fair amount of research with his people and said, okay, well, how do I make this thing stop? General Fun is the only person, as I know it in history, who's gotten a pardon of innocence, never convicted. People don't know any of this. Did you guys know this? Yeah, no, because no, he, no, 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 gu- he was found he was found guilty yeah.
2: in the court of public opinion in public opinion because nonsense. of fifth
1: generation warfare. Yep. And mm-hmm. why was this? You know who took? You know I encourage everybody again get session two, get session one or session two in the very back on why why he wrote this book. Uh, it explains who was in the room that made the decision to frag him and to do all this stuff, and it's pretty compelling. And why? Because as the role he was going to take with the Trump administration, it was his job to determine okay who who has an impact on national security guess who he was gonna (laughs) see what i'm saying this guy was the head of the dia it's not like he doesn't know Mm. and so this is a scary aspect for people who are doing wrong things around the world and who are corrupt and those people who were doing wrong things around the world and who are corrupt are the same people who said we need to get this guy out of there and comey said i'll make that happen
2: yeah yeah
1: and it was it was complete
2: well and you're watching the same banana republic bullshit happen right now
1: they're trying like hell aren't they they're
2: well it's (laughs) It hasn't stuck. My concern is with the complete. It's it amazes me every day. Like we still have court systems and and everything else, but it's trying to shut things down before elections and uh, the the fact that like all these charges may be levied, but they're like manufacturing evidence. And and do do they care?
1: Do they care? Exactly. They don't
2: care. Absolutely. They're
1: like we control everything. We can right. do what we want. right? Well, we don't well, care. that's why and
2: states' rights is going to be such and an important we've got to thing. get back to the states. States' rights is huge. I've told well, people that forever because my buddy's huge. like, well, what do you think? I said, I think the states still get a vote, which is why I asked you the convention of states question.
1: Not just the states need a vote, but states need to become self-reliant. Sovereign like they're supposed to. This Absolutely. is the issue. We have state, a at a minimum, every state should be completely self-reliant for food, water, and power, electricity. Absolutely. It, it, this, these are mandatory because this takes away susceptibilities and vulnerabilities Leverage. that will be leveraged against the yeah, populace. Yeah. So every, there needs to be a coalition of governors at a minimum. You say convention of states. I'm saying there needs to be a coalition of governors to say, hey, we stand <coughs> to make sure each one of our states is self-reliant in these areas. Because if we don't start making that happen and the federal government falls and everybody's – You know, uh, dependent on that, then we become more susceptible. You start seeing more problems within communities. I I think a lot of people right now, more people since World War II, are actually growing their own backyard gardens. I think that's fantastic. Continue that. Do that.
2: There have been some good. Yeah.
1: Find a local meat source that's clean, that's not, you know, this isn't getting vaxxed with MNRA and stuff like that. But, these things are positive, but the governors really have a lot of power to make a lot of changes. And so I think if you look at communities that are making these changes on their own, individual households that are making these changes on their own, I think it just makes sense for governors to say, you know what? I need to do my part at the state level and, and, and help out with this. We need to become self-sufficient with our own security, with our own water, food, and with our own power because this is the thing that will immediately, immediately put a block in between whatever corruption is coming to and through the federal government to the states. It blocks that and protects families, protects people. As people. long as
3: we can keep the corruption at the government governor's level
2: well, clear. It, then well, absolutely. those who don't
1: want to do this probably need to go find another job.
2: Because right. yeah. right. well, right. right. there's but no reason governable. not to. That's, absolutely. And that's that's if they say,
1: well, we we depend on the federal government, okay, well, you're out. Should. You're out. Yeah, voters should
3: absolutely stand up on
0: that. You talked earlier when you talk about tribalism and McCammon, right? There's few bigger things than red versus blue, right? But you also talked about corporatism, and then you mentioned briefly stock. And I I remember you stating that, uh, you know, stocks are nothing more than bribes, right? Yeah. Or how how you said it more eloquently than I did. But I think that's is Stocks are
1: bribes at will. Right. They're bribes at will. If if I'm a representative, if I'm if I'm in the Senate, or if I'm in Congress, and I know there's a vote coming up, well, I just go, okay, well, how what stock is going to move depending on which way I vote on this thing? They buy the stock when it's low, they make the vote, and then they make their money. They're bribes at will, and you can look that stuff up. You can look up see who's buying what stock, so on and so forth. What yep. that's. That's who's buying what stock. You're not seeing how they're doing stuff through family members and and, and through friends and businesses and all this other stuff. You don't really see that so much. That's easily hidden. But to think anybody here, you know, you show up as an elected official in D.C. and you show up with a Timex, you leave with a Rolex. Nobody made that much money or nobody should have have made that that much money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So where is this money coming from? It's coming from stocks. It doesn't matter
0: which side of the fence you're on. No, left or right.
1: Nobody. No, yeah, left, right. right. Trust me, they're all doing it. Absolutely. So nobody's passing people, you know, manila envelopes full of money anymore. They just have to show up. Yeah, when
3: a junior shows up in Congress or in in, in DC and he's making, you know, $75,000 a year and and he serves for three years, but he leaves a multimillionaire.
1: There's
2: a problem. Where well, did that? Where you know, did it come from? The yeah, like yeah. American public should be, <laughs> you know, the, jumping well, up and down right, and standing think, on desks, or
1: at least asking questions. The I think is people like
2: their guy still, though. If you ask anybody, like Congress's approval ratings, like in the single digits right now, or something, right? But if you ask people, like, oh, what do you think of your guy? And they're typically like, okay, you know, it's good. What a lot of people don't realize is at the Constitutional Convention, and I'm going to mess up the numbers, but the concept is the same. George Washington only weighed in on one thing. And it was the number of representatives per capita because he's like, guys, this could go off the rails. He wanted it at a much lower level where the representatives had to be home most of the time and there was more representation. Like we would have a much bigger House of Representatives right well, now. George
3: Washington also said,
2: stay strapped or get clapped.
3: I remember, well, that.
1: Facts. I, facts. I remember that I was there I remember that Facts, <laughs> <laughs> facts Well I think that highlights facts That highlights <laughs> I was there The biggest issues That we've got In though spirit, Is the it? fact that
0: there is such a disconnect between the the wealth of the governing people versus the average American. The disparity of income is ridiculous, and I think nothing highlights that point better than when John McCain had an interview. And I think, uh, and I probably got my time frame wrong, but I think it was around two thousand eight. And he was asked what he considered rich. This is when they were talking about increasing the tax on the rich. And John McCain made a statement at that time that he goes, uh, "Well, he doesn't consider you rich until you make more than five million a year." Well, the problem with that, as a professor of economics, I knew that the top 1% started at 2.4 million, right? So when you realize that these people are so disconnected that they're already in a fractional of the 1% mm-hmm. before they even consider you wealthy, well, what does that do to the average American family that only makes 50000 a year? How the hell are we represented? Because they have no
2: concept of what it's like to be us. You know, that goes back to why they do the division, though. Because if everybody just stood up and said, knock it the fuck off, we wouldn't have a problem, collectively. Not even everybody, 15%, we're good. Well, I mean or three or three right
1: Fifteen <laughs> percent willing three uh, percent right, willing to do right. more
3: you need an, you need an <laughs> <That's>, auxiliary yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i've yeah. gotten into this argument with people too in regards to the one percent three percent argument you know back back when three percent meant something it meant something right. we didn't have the big police state that we have now there wasn't nearly the law enforcement there wasn't nearly the federal controls the federal organizations the three letter soup alphabet those weren't out there at the time so yeah three percent could affect change and, and 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 revolution and, and new things three percent now i don't know so you uh, know you've got a lot you've got a lot more three letter alphabets you got the, if you're-
1: there's more than enough people behind this whole thing and i'll, I'll tell you guys the real numbers the real numbers are if, when you see the media and you see all this messaging that's pushing towards the socialism that's really geared towards 51 percent of the most socialist democrats hmm Fifty-one percent of the most socialist it. Democrats. That means forty-nine percent of Democrats are kind of on the same sheet of music as the Republicans. Blue dogs. The only yeah. difference is they want to argue over seventeen percent tax versus twelve percent tax. You know the stuff we argued about in the eighties and the nineties, but they're not on board with all this other stuff. All the progressives. And that's stuff, why yeah. I'm saying you know it's it's not about Republican versus Democrat anymore.
2: We're in a it culture is, war.
1: We're in a culture war, yeah. and it's it's those who are for America, they're America first, and those who are the Uniparty that are pushing for globalism yeah. and the Uniparty. Is nothing more than a vanguard party, which is professional revolutionaries, and so if when people start understanding, you know, stop doing this Republican-Democrat debate. That's not the issue. The issue is: is this person America first? Do they stand for fair elections? Do they stand for border rights? Do they stand for parental rights? Do they stand for medical freedom? Are they about defunding other uh, Uniparty members? You know, are they about that? If they are, okay, yeah, you can stay. But if they're trying to push the globalism thing, I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. They got to go at mm. all. Levels. See, Absolutely. that's why I
2: say if we just went back to our founding documents, directly interpreted, not they were never meant to be interpreted by a lawyer. The fact that the, four, that the 14th Amendment or the Supremacy Clause has been weaponized so much to try to stomp on states' rights, everybody's like, well, it means the federal government's supreme. It's like, no, read it. It's not. The federal government's job is to enforce the Bill of Rights. That's its job. The only time the federal government's supposed to be supreme is on forts, ports, and Washington, D.C. That's it. Or in regulating interstate commerce. But interstate commerce has been bastardized to mean just about everything, right? Uh,
1: Yeah, how do you even?
2: (laughs) Well, they're like, oh, a cow farts in Texas, and it affects the commerce in North Dakota. It's like, hold on a second.
0: Well, you brought up elections. In your opinion, is there a such thing, especially with the state of technology today? Is it possible to even have a fair election?
1: Get rid of the machines. 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 Get rid of the boxes. Get rid of the boxes. Everybody votes on one day. Purple thumbs. Uh, Maybe we go that far, but everybody (laughs) everybody votes on one day on paper. And we count the same day. We did it that way forever. Absolutely, everything seemed to be okay. You know, I know there is going to be detractors say, "Well, what about this? What about well, what about that?" You want to change something? Okay, change the conditions. Make that day you don't have to go to work that day, even the day before. Whatever you want to put it in a law. That's that's where the laws should go, not on. Okay, we want to build a separate apparatus. Mm -hmm. You know, just modify what people can do that day you know give them a paid holiday whatever make it easier for people but we've got to get back to and the other thing is all all the ballots themselves they they need to be numbered and accounted for you know, as they're going out, okay, we gave you this many ballots. We got back this many ballots. And they all have to be accounted for, and they should all be paper. Get away from these machines, you know, yeah, absolutely, and get away from the boxes, and forget about mail-in ballots under, in the, unless it's specific situations like a deployed soldier or, you know, warfighter, something like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Or it's somebody who can't get out of bed. They're bedridden. That makes sense to me. But just because you want to,
3: Or you have a scheduled vacation.
1: Or you have a scheduled vacation. Bullshit.
3: Well, no, no. No. Then you look at. We're all old enough to remember. If you want to, when we voted back, when we were you know eighteen years old, we're all old enough to remember that if you wanted out of that, you literally had to have what you just described. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Mm -hmm. because I was sick that day, or I couldn't take off, or. You know, I'm going on vacation.
1: Yeah, the people, per, the people trying to push for all these, these new ways, the machines and the ballot boxes and the mail and all this stuff, they're not trying to get more voters. They're just trying to get more votes.
2: Well, <laughs> and you know, I voters think. Voters be damned. If, right. Not if you just, I think it should go a step further. We used to teach civics in school, right? That was actually the original purpose for government education was civics, history, and literature, because they wanted a well-educated populace.
0: Well, when you have federal-mandated education, there's a problem. I mean, I even look at that. I've, I've been a professor since 2016. And the amount of textbook changes that I have seen just from 2016 to today is ridiculous. And the narrative that changes, the amount of information that gets taken out, the way that the information gets changed and, and sure. used—and that's at the collegiate level. Special interest. Man. You, when you look at that at the when you look at that at the elementary K through 12 education, you know, uh, when I stopped my PhD program. they and the reason why I stopped that is because they denied my dissertation because they said that my dissertation had to do with education not business and I was studying the fourth industrial revolution and I was trying to build a connection between um, upscaling or uh, up educating uh, modern employees into fourth industrial revolution technologies, right? And so they felt like, well, that was more of an education. So I had to go back, and then I ended up getting my certification as a K through twelve educator, so that I could represent my dissertation, which I haven't done yet. But in the time that I spent in the K through twelve education, the amount of misinformation you know even in the business side i taught several business classes and i thought to myself a lot of the economics things that were being presented as soon as they get to the undergraduate level i'm going to have to reteach this this is not going to be something that i'm going to continue outside but when i was in that environment i could not deviate from
2: the lesson plan and that appalled me yeah, yeah I, I, blame I, I the I guess the line I was trying to draw back is, even if you look at our border, you know, if somebody wants to become a citizen, they have to take a test, right, on civics. There's things they got to know. People can graduate high school and become voters right now and know none of those things. Well, look at economics.
0: And and like, uh, like Boone was saying earlier, if you just follow the money. You're not even required to take economics in high school. As a professor of economics, even though I'm a professor of business, to get a business degree at most colleges, economics is an elective. It's not even required. How can you have a business degree and not have a basic fundamental understanding of economics?
1: I think they're controlling a lot of that stuff at the college level. I know a young man. I was I was doing a, an engagement, and he came up to me, and he said, I just got to let you know, I, you know, I read your book, and... He says, I have a political science degree, and nobody – we didn't talk about Mao or Stalin in college. We didn't talk about Mao or Stalin in high school. It was Nazi, 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 Nazi. Yep. But <laughs> Mao and Stalin, that was just this thing that was over there. He says, wow. I'm a political science major. This is an issue. Now, I'm a little bit older than a lot of people here, I think, and – we we actually studied it. We, we the Great Leap was a big thing in school. You know, we talked about that. We talked about Stalin taking power. We talked about the dead pe- the people who died under communism during all this all this stuff. That was a big issue, but you know, at that time we had boomers that had fought those wars, mm-hmm. who were making sure we don't need people to forget this stuff. Well, that's gone now. You know, now you've got. You know, there's a whole different group of people who are deciding what people are going to learn, and it makes it very, very suspect if they're not even talking about the atrocities that happened under Mao.
2: Well, that's what I said after the weather. What weather yeah. underground? And you saw how that when they dissolved, they went into education. I think we talked about that last night a little bit. More and more, um, uh, yeah. And, and it, and you're right. It, it it could be bad, but a basic understanding of our foundational doctrine. I mean, I I didn't re- really do a deep dive until I had. Sign- and I've said it on here before, but I'm standing in Moondust in Rawah staring at an Al-Qaeda stronghold. We're taking out CAG, reenlisting, And a month later, I'm back home drinking whiskey with a month of free leave going, what do I really know about this thing I swore an oath to support and defend? And so I started, you know, I read all, you know, Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, read the entire Constitution front to back, and then I went, hmm, Federalist Papers, I read what the Anti-Federalists said. Then I read Locke. Then I read the Magna Carta, like the concepts that kind of drove it. And, you know, we've gotten so far. You look at red or blue. I just went home on
1: leave and got drunk. I mean, (laughs) hats off to you, dude. I had had,
2: had too much time to think and didn't have the ability to leave because my wife at the time had to work. So I had to do something, and I was kind of like, I just stacked a lot of bodies for this country, and it, it made me go... Huh, and it also made me look at even what we did in Iraq on human rights, right? And I was kind of like, man, I violated the shit out of some rights for a minute there. If you I, look at the first ten,
1: how? Just a, minute, a personal question: How do you come to terms with that now
2: that I did that? Um, I write it off as I had altruistic motives at the time, and now I treat it as a responsibility to educate everyone i can so we don't make the same mistakes in the future i've actually had a lot of friends who said man you should run for something and i'm like yeah i'm not the guy i thought i'm related to andrew jackson i'm like i'll bring back dueling sarge talk- for governor you heard it here talk shit no seriously though like educating the populace we need civic involvement and buy-in and i don't know how that happens i've had a couple ideas but then they tend toward forcing people into things but if you really want to be a part of this you got to have a stake in the game and people aren't going to get off the couch until it's really painful which it's starting to get there but it isn't even near painful enough yet unfortunately
1: well let me share a little bit of information this is this to all the warfighters listening out there who have deployed and, 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 and done the Lord's work there is a when I was interviewing and I, I befriended this guy in Iraq Right, I asked him cuz remember we're reading my first book call sign voodoo right so i could t- talk to, talk english with him and and also so i could get the other side of the story it
2: was my call sign too
1: <laughs> right on and so he um he, i said do you have anything do you hate the, the americans do you hate do you hate the, the the soldiers that were there do you hate you know and he says no and i said do the people of iraq how do the people of iraq feel and he said this is a quote we drink from the same cup it's the governments who are to blame. Yep. Yeah. So that is a very important thing. And that led me to do a little bit of writing and soul searching. And, and the way I kind of put it is in the military, you are the sharp edge of St. Michael's sword. We're not the handle. It is our government that swings us. So if they swing us the wrong way, our job is to stack bodies and break shit. But if we're swung the wrong way and put in the wrong place and we still do our job, the guilt is theirs, not ours. Hundred percent. We are the sharp end. We win fights. That's our job. If they don't do their job, the guilt is theirs. So anybody listening to this right now, if you're a warfighter right now, sitting out there like, how do I, how do I come to terms with things? Here's how you come to terms with things. We are the sharp end of St. Michael's sword. Where we are swung is somebody else's responsibility. Our job is to cut so you did nothing wrong.
3: I'm really glad you brought that up because I know there's people out there listening that might be going through some bad times, and that might be what they needed to hear.
1: I hope they do. Well, I think I that hope was very do. well said. I,
2: I, got, I got the captain looking it up, but there's an old Greek quote. I think it was, I'm going to mess it up because I don't speak Greek, Herticulus or something like that, and it's something to the effect of a nation that doesn't have its uh, the principle is that at some point you can't just have a bunch of academics running things you need warrior scholars uh, and yeah, I, I can have to find you find me, with the quote I just don't know what it is offhand. yeah I'm sure you know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. and and the point is is that when you have that when you have people who have been in the arena And you see a lot of it starting to happen with veterans step up running for stuff and things like that. You know the cost of blood and treasure. And before you're willing, you know what harm's way looks like. And we talked about, I've talked about it on here with um, Sebastian Junger's book, Tribe. Um, You don't have that disconnect. And you will see a lot more uh, discretion in what we're willing to... Sacrifice in the name of national security or the quote-unquote greater good. Uh, well, I think I want to add something here, too, because
0: I think dealing with past regrets, and I think this is a call to not just our listeners but the other warfighters that are out there, and you mentioned this several times yesterday, we only have our frame of reference at the moment in time in which we're making decisions, whether, and that is all that we can make our decisions with. And in the, whatever moment in time you were in, that frame of reference doesn't change. But now we know better. And the good news is now this fight, this fifth generation fight, doesn't involve spilling blood, but it is something that we can go to war with we can become active in and we can engage in and we can take up that flag and we can go make change. And I think that's something that our listeners should embody and anybody out there that feels like, you know, it's time for change. It's time to fight again. This is a fight worth having. That quote, it's uh, the society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by
2: cowards and it's fighting by fools. Yep, that's the one I was looking for. Thanks, man. Yeah, he did that way better than you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you like fucked that all up. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: I know, is there some s- s- shit about... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's how, it, how I do quotes. I already, uh, said, some I already, shit about
0: I already said I don't speak. I'm not a Greek. Well, <laughs> hey, yeah. we have reached the end of our time here, sir. I really appreciate you joining us. Would you like to give, the, uh, give yourself a plug and tell the audience where to find you, where to become involved in your movement, uh, how to purchase your books? I know that you're going to give us links. We'll make sure that we add those to our description. We'll put them out for anybody out there that would like to purchase your material.
1: Uh, bottom line is... You you can purchase the 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 material, uh, the Systems Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, the entire series, which is a they're so they're, they're military manuals written for civilians, and they're written in a way that the average nineteen year old working at Home Depot can understand, and so everybody, one. yeah, so you can just kind of <laughs> pull everybody in, and, and so I hope you enjoy it. You can buy it anywhere online; books are sold. Uh, And uh, and and just get it. And in session one, definitely pay close, 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 close attention to chapter eight, because that's where you can really start to to make a difference in your life and your family's lives. And at the end of the day, stop thinking that people around you are your enemy. More than likely, they're not. They're just as confused as you are. They're being siloed. They're in their own filter bubbles, just like you are. And you have to accept the fact that, yeah, that might be happening to you too. And we need to just drop these shackles right now and start talking to each other and start getting really, really smart on what fifth generation warfare is and how it's attacking you and your family.
3: Boone, I know we're are short on time, but as, as a civilian non-ex-military, uh, how would someone that's on the civ- civilian side get involved and help be involved with everything behind the scenes that's up and coming?
1: Just do chapter eight and session one. Everybody can do that. Everybody can do that. And once that starts happening, those communicate... See, here's the deal. We don't have a voice if we don't speak the same language, which means using the same terms. Right now, a lot of people feel that there's something going on, and so they say, it's this or it's that. And they're using all the wrong terminology based on their frame of reference. Well, this is one thing. This is fifth generation warfare. Once we start speaking the same language and talking about it, then we have a voice. Once we have a voice, the word becomes flesh and change happens. Roger that. Well said. All right. Well, thank you for joining
0: the Stone Apes, sir. I do appreciate that. For our listeners out there, if you are still with us, do me a favor and make sure you hit subscribe. Then click that notification bell so that you get notified of future posts. We will have episodes dropping every Saturday by midnight. But most of our episodes are going to go out at Friday at four twenty, so that you can get high with us. A big thank you to our sponsors. I want to thank you to Malevolent Arts Studios over in Barnhart, Missouri. That is our man Anthony Ferguson out there. If you guys are looking to have a new tattoo, I highly Highly recommend Anthony and his team of competent professionals. He's got a clean, beautiful shop, and you should go over there and uh, give him your design. Let them work up something for you, and they're gonna put a quality piece of art on your skin. I have several tattoos from Anthony myself, and the line work and the color saturation is like none other. Um, I know other people that have tattoos from him as well, and, and they're just fantastic. So, if you're looking for a good quality tattoo, make sure that you go see Malevolent Art in Barnhart, Missouri. If you look down in our description, you will see see a contact for him mention the stone day podcast and you will get fifty dollars off any book tattoo another shout out to strategic stitch strategic stitch is our partner for our apparel line they are doing our dropship for us. So, if you guys are looking to get some stoned apes merchandise, make sure you go out to our website, www.thestonedapespodcast.com. You can see a link there, order your shirt. It will be custom made for you and sent out. And Strategic Stitch is the one that does all that quality work for us. So, we appreciate them and their help and everything that they're doing for us. All right. For this episode, we again we thank you, Mr. Boone, for coming out. This was a fantastic episode. And the stoned apes are out